0: This is our passage this morning from Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 26. Starting at verse 12. This is after, this is Jesus cursing the fig tree. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? And this is a passage that Dab's going to talk to us on today from verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And pray the Lord, that is his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you very much, Ian. Well, a very good morning to you all, and welcome. It's great to be together, isn't it? To receive God's word together. So we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 25, or verses 22 to 26. Jesus on the importance of faith. So let's begin by reading Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to to 26. Let us hear the very word of God. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will. Will not forgive your sins. Amen. This is God's word, and may He bless the reading and the preaching of His word. So, what's the context of Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 26? Well, the context is Jesus cursing the fig tree, which happened yesterday, so to speak. What we read in Mark 11, Verses 12 to 14. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Then this morning, Peter notices that the fig tree has withered from the roots. That's what we read in verses 20 to 21, isn't it? In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has Withered. Withered from the roots. And that's quite significant, isn't it? It wasn't just the leaves that had withered, but the fig tree had withered from the roots. If it was just the leaves that had withered, the sun could have done that, couldn't it? Or maybe a strong wind or something. I've noticed that even with the plants that I'm growing now. We're growing peas and carrots and potatoes And if you don't give them water, maybe even the next day you notice some of the leaves have withered. So the leaves of a tree or a plant can wither in 24 hours, but the roots don't wither. The roots don't wither. Now, apparently, it takes a tree 100 years to fully grow. And then a tree will live a hundred years, and then apparently it takes a hundred years for a tree to die. Isn't that interesting? So the average lifespan of a tree is 300 years, 100 years to grow, and then it exists for a hundred years, and then it takes a hundred years for it to start to die. So a tree doesn't die overnight, does it? Something impossible happened here in Mark chapter 11. And who can make impossible things to happen? Only God. No human being can make impossible things to happen in their own strength. Only God can cause impossible things to happen. So this passage is clearly telling us that Jesus is God. The God who can make impossible, humanly impossible things to happen. So, would you say that Jesus performed a miracle in Mark chapter 11? Yeah, it was a miracle. But is the f- fig tree withering from the roots in less than 24 hours more of a miracle than the fig tree being alive? It's quite a thought, isn't it? I think it's so important to remember that Jesus is the source of life for everything on this earth. We don't believe in sort of kind of theistic evolution, that God just created the earth, he just wound it up, and then he just let it go. Have you seen one of those toys? You just wind it up, and then you leave it, and then it's got a life of its own It just goes round in a circle and falls over That's not how God created the world. No, God sustains the world. He sustains the stars and the planets. He sustains every atom, neutron, electron. He sustains everything. The reason why we're not floating about now is because God says so. Jesus is saying, let gravity continue to exist on planet Earth. The reason why my heart is beating now is because Jesus says so. He's saying, heart, beat, heart, beat. And one day, Jesus is going to say, heart, stop. The reason I'm breathing is because Jesus says so. He sustains everything. What do we read in Hebrews chapter 1 and the first half of verse 3? The Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when the fig tree withered from the roots, Jesus just stopped doing what he usually does. Every day, every hour, every minute, every second, Jesus was sustaining this fig tree, keeping it alive. And then just one day, Jesus said, I'm going to stop doing that now. When you think of the feeding of the 5,000, was that a miracle? Of course it was a miracle. But the fact that five loaves existed is still a miracle, isn't it? I don't know about you, but you find that bread is just a miracle. Where do we get bread from? A seed is buried in the ground. Soil that Jesus has created And then Jesus sends rain, Jesus sends sun, and then this seed grows into a wheat stalk with wheat grains on it. We grind the wheat grains, we get flour, and we make bread. It's absolutely amazing, don't you think so? Isn't bread brilliant? (laughs) It's a wonderful miracle that we have food to eat. What are you going to eat today? Don't get too distracted. I know that's one of the things that distracts people from listening to sermons. We always think of what we're going to eat, don't we? Especially on a Sunday lunch or something. If you're going to get potatoes, peas, and carrots for lunch, where did that come from? It came from a tiny seed. Isn't that amazing? Our potatoes came from a seed. Our carrots came from a tiny seed. Our peas came from a tiny seed that was buried in the ground Jesus sent rain, Jesus sent the sun, and it grew. Jesus sustained it. He created it. We should never forget that Jesus sustains everything and causes everything to grow. How much happier would we be if we always remembered that? I think sometimes we can be like animals, can't we? We see food and we just eat it, don't we? Without thinking, I'm holding a miracle in my hands here. How this got onto my plate is a wonderful miracle from Jesus, who sustains all things by his powerful word. We'd be so much happier if we were thankful and thought deeply about where the stuff that we eat came from. Miracles happen every day, every hour, every moment, every second. It's just that we don't appreciate them, do we? I'm ashamed to say I don't appreciate them always. It's a miracle that I'm standing up now, isn't it? It's a miracle. I can do that with my hand. The signals are being sent from my brain to my hands to do that, that. I'm even speaking now. A wonderful miracle, the human body. And when you think of the process of conception to birth, wow, that's a miracle, isn't it? That a fertilized human egg, do you know what the size of a fertilized human egg is? 0.1 of a millimeter. We've got some very clever people here. Austin, how big is 0.1 of a millimeter? It's about that big. Could you, can you see that, everyone? I don't know if you've got a, a Bible or something in front of you or anything with some writing. Can you find a full stop? Go on, everyone do it. Can you find a full stop? That's small, isn't it? That's the size of a fertilized human egg. That is tiny. And that develops a spinal cord, a nervous system, heart, Lungs, face, eyes, legs, a brain, all the other organs, fingers, toes, fingerprints, nails, and hair. Isn't that amazing? And then, 36 years later, something like this I came from a tiny little dot. Why? Because Jesus said so. You're a miracle. I'm a miracle. We should never miss these miracles. But there's something even more miraculous than a physical human conception and birth. What is that? What is more miraculous than a human physical birth? A spiritual birth, isn't it? What the Bible calls being born again or having a new birth or being born of God. That's the greatest miracle of all, because we're spiritually dead naturally. We're dead in our sins. It's impossible for us to give ourselves a new birth. In the same way, a baby didn't decide when it wanted to exist. I didn't say, I I fancy coming into existence on the 2nd of October, 1982. Yeah, that looks like a good date. (laughs) That's when I'll start existing. No, didn't have a say in it. In the same way, when we're born again, it's the work of God. It's an absolute miracle. What was the verse that Ian read for us in the opening part of our worship? 1 Peter, chapter one, verse three. <clears throat> "Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the new birth is a gift. It's a miraculous gift. We're dead in our sins, and Jesus needs to make us alive. And the question this morning, have you experienced that? Have you had... The new birth. Have you been born again? Have you been born of God? So the context to verses 22 to 26 of Mark chapter 11 is that God does the humanly impossible. The living God does the humanly impossible. And in verse 22... Jesus commands the disciples and us to trust in the God who does the humanly impossible. This is 22 to 24 is basically Jesus saying, ask God to do humanly impossible things. And I'll be honest with you, most of my prayers have probably gone unanswered, if I'm honest with you. I've been a Christian now, coming up to 25 years. This August, it'll be 25 years. And I think most of the prayers I've prayed since becoming a Christian in 1994 have probably gone unanswered. And then sometimes when I've asked someone, well, I prayed for this, and it didn't happen. And then people say, oh, it's okay, It's just sometimes God says no. But I don't buy that. Yeah, that is true. Sometimes God does say no to our prayers. But then the the question is, why? Why does God say no to some of our prayers? Why do some of our prayers go unanswered? And here's a deep question for us to think about. Are there any unanswered prayers... In the New Testament. I spent quite a bit of time studying this. Are there any unanswered prayers in the New Testament? I could only think of one and a half. The first one is probably one you're probably thinking of. Jesus praying in the garden. Going a little farther. What do we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39? Going a little farther. He, Jesus, fell with his face to the ground and prayed... My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. But really, that isn't an unanswered prayer, isn't it? Because Jesus is so humble, he Is it not actually, let your will be done. He's not actually demanding something or claiming something in prayers. He? He's saying, if possible, let your will be done. I think the only other example I could find was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, the Apostle Paul praying for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. What do we read there? 2 Corinthians 12, the second part of verse 7 through to verse 9. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So really, it's only one, isn't it? Maybe someone might correct me later. But it's very rare, isn't it, in the New Testament for prayers to go unanswered. The norm is that prayers are heard and they are answered. And this morning, we will learn why some prayers are answered and some are not. That's what we're learning this morning, why some prayers are answered and some prayers are not. So which prayers does God answer? Let's read verses 22 to 24 one more time. Mark chapter 11, this is 22 to 24. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. So the command here from Jesus is, have faith in God. Trust God. Believe God. That's what faith, trust, and believe is the same thing. But Jesus isn't talking about saving faith here. Have faith in God. He's not talking about saving faith. What is saving faith? Well, it's trust in Jesus. Trusting in who Jesus is and trusting in God. What he's done. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he lived the perfect life for you? Do you believe that he took your punishment on the cross? Do you believe that he rose again from the dead for you to give you new life? If you believe that and repent of your sins, then you're born again. You are saved. If Jesus is Lord of your life, then you are saved. That is saving faith. Trust in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus isn't talking about saving faith in verse 22. He's talking about faith in God when we pray. Jesus is saying, when you pray, trust in the God who can do humanly impossible things. What we're told to do is to pray without doubting in our heart. And believe that what we've prayed for will happen and believe that we've already received what we've asked for in prayer. That sounds almost too good to be true, isn't it? Does that sound like a bit of a blank checkbook? So all I've got to do is pray without doubting, believing that I will receive it, actually believing that I've already received it and it will be mine. Well, let the good times roll then. I'm going to become a millionaire. No, it's so important that we know the whole mind of God on the subject of prayer. Mark 11, verses 22 to 26, isn't the only verses in the Bible on prayer. It's so important that we've got a systematic theology on prayer, isn't it? What do we read in 1 John, chapter 5? This is 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Isn't that incredible? So we can only pray with a kind of faith that's described in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 to 24, when we know that what we're praying is in accordance with God's will. The only way we can pray with that kind of faith, isn't it, is when we're praying in accordance with God's will. But then, the multi-million dollar question is, how do I know God's will then? Well, I'm going to say something that might be controversial now how do we know God's will? By reading the Bible. By reading the Bible. The Bible is the only perfect revelation from God that we have. Let me repeat that. The Bible is the only perfect revelation that we have from God. So when someone says, well, God has told me, that I have to marry that person. Usually, my next response is, well, what does the other person think? (laughs) Well, God hasn't told me. (laughs) So whenever someone says, God has told me that that's the person I have to marry, or maybe when someone says, well, God has told me that this is the job for me, I am going to get that job, or God has told me that I have to live in this certain place, I'm like, have you got a chapter and verse in the Bible for that? You can't know 100% that God has told you that you're supposed to marry that person or you're meant to do that job or you're meant to live in that place. What you should really say is, I think God is telling me that I should marry this person. I think God is leading me to work in this place, or to live in that place. We can never know 100%. Because the Bible is the only perfect revelation that we have from God. Like, I didn't know for certain that it was God's will for me to marry Hannah. I wanted to marry her. I felt at peace about spending the rest of my life with her. The only way I could find out was by asking her, and if she said yes, well it's obviously God's will, then, isn't it? It's just a bit of common sense, isn't it? And I'll let you into a secret. I didn't know one hundred percent if God wanted me and my family to come to Binfield. I wanted to come to Binfield. I felt a peace about coming to Binfield. The only way I knew if God was calling me to Binfield, if his church called me, isn't it? If the body of Christ said yes. yes. Because God closed the door to a particular church in 2012 because we felt that God was leading us to a particular church in 2012. We felt a peace about it. But God said, no, obviously. He just closed the door. And God sent us to Pembrokeshire in 2014. And then in 2017, God brought us here. I don't believe that we can know for certain whom God wants us to marry or where God wants us to live or where God wants us to work. We can only pray, if this will bring you glory, please lead me to marry this person or to do this job or to live in that place. If it is your will, you know my desires, Lord. If you're willing, please let this happen. And this is how we should pray most of our prayers. If this brings you glory, Lord God, let that happen. If this is your will, Lord God, let it happen. But there are certain things revealed to us in the Bible that we know is God's will for our lives. 100%. This is definitely what God wants for our lives. And we can pray those sort of prayers with the kind of faith that we read in Mark chapter 11, this is 22 to 24, can't we? So what do we know for certain is God's will for our lives? Well, I'm just going to look at two verses. We could spend a lot of time here, but I'm going to look at two very explicit verses. The first one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That's the kind of prayer we can pray with the faith described in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. As a church, if we put that verse into context, that's a verse given to a local church in Thessalonica, And the Holy Spirit is telling this local church in Thessalonica, God's will for your lives is that you should be sanctified, that you should be holy, that you should be pure, and that you should avoid sexual immorality. So we can pray that prayer. Lord God, it's your will for us as a local church that we should be holy and pure. And we're praying with faith that you're going to make us holy and pure. And then you're going to keep us from falling into the sin of sexual immorality. We can pray that prayer with faith. And it's a big issue, sexual immorality in the church. I'm not saying this church particularly. But um, I don't know, many of you have heard of Premier Christian magazine. There's Premier Christian radio. And it's the same as Premier Christian magazine. Well, in 2015, they carried out a survey. And this is the results they had from the survey. 42% of Christian men say they have a porn addiction. 42% of Christian men say they're addicted to pornography. That is 21 men out of 50. If you had 50 Christian men... 21 of them would say, I'm addicted to porn. And the next statistic says 75% of Christian men view pornography on a monthly basis. That's three out of four. You take four Christian men, three of them look at porn at least once a month. It's a massive problem in the church. I know these are just statistics, And they're not perfect, but they give you some sort of picture. It it might be even worse, doesn't it? It might be even worse. So we desperately need to pray this prayer for the church. Lord God, we know what you will for us, that we should be holy and pure. That we should avoid sexual immorality. We pray that with faith. And what's the second one? What else do we know for certain is God's will for our lives? What do we read in? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always. And then verse 17. Pray continually. Verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is God's will for our lives? That we should rejoice always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances. Isn't that just mind-blowing? That's the kind of prayer that we can pray with the faith of Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. Lord God, we know that your will for our lives is that we should be rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Please make me into that person. By faith, I pray that you will make me into that person. I don't know about you, but I want to be that, don't you? I'm just sick and tired of not being like that, aren't you? Of not always rejoicing, not always praying, not always giving thanks in every circumstance. It's killing us, isn't it? It's killing us. The most miserable Christians we'll ever meet are thankless Christians. Isn't that true? People who just complain and criticize. The Christian who is thankful is the most joyful Christian you'll ever meet, doesn't it? Have we got a lot to be thankful for? But look what it says. Give thanks in all circumstances. And you're thinking, is the Holy Spirit serious there? Give thanks in all circumstances. So if I lost everything, If I lost my wife and my children, tragically, if I lost all my possessions, can I still be thankful in that circumstance? Oh, yes, I can. I can. What have you got to be thankful for? I can give thanks that I'm not in hell, because that's what I deserve. That's what we all deserve, isn't it? We can give thanks that we're not in hell and that we're not going to go to hell if our faith is in Jesus Christ. Even if we're going through the worst circumstances anyone has ever been through, we can be thankful. Read this book. Someone in a Nazi concentration camp was able to be thankful in all circumstances. We need to pray that we're going to be 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 to 18. So what are the prayers that God answers? The prayers that God answers are the prayers that are prayed in accordance with His will and prayed with faith. So what are the prayers that God doesn't answer? Well, the prayers that God doesn't answer, the prayers that God doesn't hear, are the prayers that aren't prayed in accordance with His will and prayers that aren't prayed with faith. But also, we see another example of the prayer that God doesn't hear and the prayer that God doesn't answer. What do we read in verses 25 to 26 of Mark chapter 11? And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins so even if I'm praying prayers that are in in accordance with God's will even if I'm praying prayers that I believe is full of faith and not doubting but I'm holding something against someone my prayers are going no higher than the ceiling God will not hear my prayers and he certainly will not answer my prayers if I'm refusing to forgive someone, if I'm holding anything against someone. Or I might be thinking, but God, I'm praying according to your will. I'm praying without doubting and full of faith. Not, not interested. You've got to sort out your heart first. You're holding a grudge against someone. You're refusing to forgive someone. Your prayer is not coming anywhere near heaven. That filth isn't coming into heaven. You've got to clean yourself up there. You've got to ask Jesus to make you clean. Holding something against someone and refusing to forgive is a serious sin, isn't it? Refusing to forgive someone, holding something against someone is a serious sin. What do we read in Psalm 66, verse 18? If I had cherished sin in my heart, The Lord would not have listened. So what does verses 25 and 26 actually mean? What do we read there? Forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Are those verses saying that we earn forgiveness by forgiving other people first? So if I want my sins forgiven, I've got to forgive someone first. I've got to forgive everyone that I'm refusing to forgive, or anyone that I'm holding anything against. So do we earn forgiveness by forgiving other people? No. We can't earn forgiveness. We're forgiven by faith alone, aren't we? We're forgiven by faith alone in Christ alone. Forgiving others may be part of our repentance. So we're to put our faith in Jesus and we're to repent. And part of our repentance may involve forgiving other people, someone we're holding a grudge against, someone we're refusing to forgive. But also... As we forgive others, that is evidence that we really are forgiven ourselves. If someone claims to be forgiven, if someone says, I've had my sins forgiven by God, but they refuse to forgive another human being who offends them, then they're a fake Christian. You can't be Christian, can you, if you refuse to forgive someone, if you hold something against someone else. It's just impossible, isn't it? How can you ask God for mercy in prayer when you won't show mercy to someone else? How can you ask God to forgive you when you won't forgive someone else? How can you ask God to help you when you won't help someone else? How can you call God Father when you refuse to call another brother or sister in Christ brother or sister? It's just impossible, isn't it? So what are the prayers that God hears? The prayers that are prayed in accordance with his will and the prayers that are prayed with faith. What are the prayers that God refuses to listen to and answer? Well, the prayers of the person who's refusing to forgive someone. The prayers of the person who's holding something against someone else. The prayers of the person who isn't praying in accordance with God's will. And it isn't praying with faith. So what are some of the key things for us to remember from this passage? Jesus commands us to trust in the God who can do humanly impossible things. The God who can do the humanly impossible. And secondly, God answers our prayers when they're in accordance with his will and are prayed with faith. And thirdly, it is God's will that we should be sanctified, that we should be holy and pure. Fourthly, it is God's will that we rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. And lastly, God doesn't share our prayers if we're holding something against someone.